You're listening to the Mission Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that this sermon would be used by God in your life, not as a replacement, but alongside belonging to a local church. Thanks for listening. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today I'll be reading from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, who is in heaven. At this time, I'm going to call up our lead pastor, Billy, and um, please join me as I pray for him. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to stop the hustle and bustle of the week and join together with brothers and sisters to glorify you this morning. Father, I pray for Billy. I pray that you would calm his heart and his mind and that his ears would be tuned to you speaking to him so that he can share your message clearly with us. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the gift of this church family. Father, I pray that when we leave this morning, we would leave encouraged, but also challenged to make a change, to make a difference, to be light. Father, thank you for everything you've done in this place, in these people. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Again, we're grateful that you're here. Um, If you are new and you want to get a little bit more information, again, you can come hang out with me afterwards, but also you can drop off this Connect card. You'll see on your way out, there's a little box that we put there for you. So I remember back in 2020 when we were all stuck in our houses for a little bit and we were all scrolling and watching a bunch of different videos. There was a trend going along, there was a trend going on about people looking back to their high school days and the things that uh, they were influenced by. And so the reason that comes to mind is because As I'm looking through this passage and listening to the words of Christ, he's calling us to be a people of influence. But boy, we are so easily influenced. There was this trend where a song would start playing. I'm not gonna sing the song, but it would basically just pop up with, I'm just a kid. And it would do like the flashback from the way I look now to the way I used to look. So let's look at Billy and Hannah as children. Look at, look at that emo looking goober. Boy, so you may or may not know this, but uh, yeah, I used to have really long swoopy emo hair and that was kind of my thing. And uh, Hannah and I were laughing at the, the pea coats and the tight pants and all that kind of stuff. But I think if we were to pull up pictures of some of you, you too might be embarrassed. So we've all been influenced by things. We all are so easily kind of pulled into wanting to look a certain way, act a certain way. But Jesus tells us that as believers, as disciples, we are a people of influence. In fact, Jesus is calling us to be a people who influence the entire world around us. See, the most important thing about every single one of us is not what we do, but what we are. Because who we are surpasses anything that we do. Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so here's our big idea this morning, what we're gonna be walking together to see. It's this, kingdom citizens influence the world as salt and light. 
We influence the world as salt and light. Again, our true impact comes more from who we are. Jesus says, we are salt and light. Now, how well our words are received when we talk to other people, it depends a lot on our relationship with them, right? Because our relationship influences people's perception of us. And their perception, it shapes the way they feel about us. And their feelings affects how they interpret what we say. So what am I saying? In other words, what people think about you affects how they hear you. And so if we are to be in the world, sharing the hope of Christ with others, it matters what they think about us. Paul says this to the Philippians in Philippians 4 verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so he encourages the Philippians to observe his actions, not just listen to his words. Paul's saying this, he's saying, watch my life. Watch my life. See, the trustworthiness of what we say is judged by the honesty of our actions. It's been said this way, that the most important things in life are caught, not taught. And Jesus tells us that as disciples, those who live out the Beatitudes, the attitudes we talked about last week, the people who follow the way of Jesus, he says, you are salt and light. That when we know who we are and we know whose we are, then we influence the world. You see, salt and light, they both change their surroundings. And Jesus is going to show the difference in the world's influence on us versus our influence on the world, because we are called to be a people of influence. But Jesus will show us that disciples tragically can lose their effectiveness if they're not careful. Just as salt, when it's diluted, becomes tasteless and light that's put under a bowl loses its shine so our influence can fade without constant discipline, reliance on God. And so we're gonna walk through this together and we're gonna see how we influence the world as salt and light. And it starts with salt. We are salt. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, here's the thing. I love salt a lot. Salt is my friend. It is my favorite of the seasons because it makes all things better. Like you can ask Hannah, I am a savory person, not a sweet person, right? I go for these, okay, there's this pretzel that's at Aldi, right? You know, you know the dots that are like $8 and make you want to weep because they're so expensive? Listen, they're these $2 pretzels at Aldi. You're welcome. It's called the pub style mix. You're all, you're blessed. We go and eat. Here's the thing, I love salt. I do, and I think many of us do. We enjoy, the, the, we enjoy salt because it flavors life, but that's not the only thing that salt does. I think many of us who've grown up in the church have definitely heard this idea that we're salt and light, but I think we hear a lot more about light, right? Light gets the spotlight, Right, salt is often overlooked, right? Light gets songs, for goodness sakes. Hide it under a bushel. Yeah, see, I knew it. Thanks, Hannah. (laughs) I can always count on you. (laughs) Hide it under a bushel, no. But I don't remember any songs about salt, not a one. Yet, there is this multifaceted meaning of being salt in our world. 
The first thing we see about salt is it's this. Salt is meant to preserve, to preserve. When Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth, he's using this word picture that everyone would understand in his day and age. See, this was the day before refrigerators, before freezers, and salt was what kept meat from going bad, especially in hot places where food spoiled fast. So you can imagine living in a time without salt, your dinner would start to rot almost as soon as you got it. This is the backdrop for understanding why Jesus is choosing to use this as a descriptor for our role in the world. He's basically saying this, that with the world without Christ's influence is like meat without salt. It's going to spoil, it's going to erode because evilness and brokenness, they're everywhere. They make things worse, just like bacteria that makes food bad. So when Jesus calls us salt, he's telling us that we play a role on the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. We're meant to be like that pinch of salt on meat, stopping decay. Being salt means living in such a way that naturally stops the negativity and the decay that is around us. You see, we don't have to preach at people, sometimes just living like Christ makes the bad stuff just seem so out of place. Now here's the thing, sodium is an extremely active chemical, naturally only, uh, found naturally only in combined form. It always links itself to another element. Chlorine, on the other hand, is the poisonous gas that gives bleach its offensive odor. You guys didn't know you were going to science class. Stay with me. See, when you put sodium and chlorine combined, you get table salt, we get salt, right? the things that we use to preserve meat, the things that we use to bring out flavor in things, right? But here's the deal. If, we, if you follow this analogy, love and truth, I think, are a lot like sodium and chlorine because love without truth is flighty. Love without truth is blind. It's willing to combine with various doctrines where on the other hand, truth by itself can be offensive, sometimes even poisonous, right? You can speak the truth and you can still be a jerk. Because truth spoken without love turns people away from the gospel. But when truth and love are combined in our lives and in our church, then we have what Jesus calls the salt of the earth. That's when we're able to preserve and bring out the beauty of our faith. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying, without me, the world is headed for a bad end. But you, my disciples, you're here to keep things fresh, to stop the rot to make the world a better place. Have you ever thought about that? That as believers, we actually make the world better. We're called to get into the thick of things. We're called to bring the preserving truth and love of Jesus. So first, salt preserves. What else does it do? Second, salt is for purity, for purity. In 2 Kings, there's this story about Elisha going and fixing a poisoned well in Jericho. The locals are telling Elisha, hey, the water's toxic, we, we can't drink it, it's causing harm. And so Elisha takes a bowl of salt, toss, uh, tosses that salt into the source of the well and says, this is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. From now on, it won't cause death or harm to the land. See, this story illustrates how God uses us, his people as the salt of the earth to show his purity. We talked about this last week, Jesus makes us pure. At the cross, Jesus makes us pure. The exchange is his purity for our impurities. Jesus never sinned, he was pure. And here's what's fascinating about that. 
If you flip through the gospels and you start looking at the person of Jesus, do you know what his purity doesn't do? It doesn't push people away, ever. You never see sinners running away from Jesus. It draws them in. It's fascinating that despite his absolute purity, Jesus is a magnet for those that society pushes aside. Tax collectors, prostitutes, outcasts, lepers who literally had to walk through the streets yelling, unclean, no one could touch them, but Jesus goes and places his hands on them. What if, what if we lived in such a way that wasn't holier than thou, but something that actually inspired other people to want the good life, to look at us and go, man, what is it about that person? It's so compelling. See, there's a clear distinction between the righteousness that comes from God and the self-righteousness that we conjure up ourselves. Because self-righteousness is driven by ego. Those who are self-righteous tend to judge and repel the very people who need compassion the most. But on the other hand, God's righteousness has a way of drawing people, compelling people in. Being salt means that we're here to reflect God's true righteousness, powered by the Holy Spirit. Again, not to flaunt our own supposed moral superiority. So salt preserves, salt purifies, and we see next, salt gives flavor. Yes and amen, right? This is how we know, right? If you like, if you, the whole life, if you give me like a burger that's unseasoned, you ever had that before? It's just like, here's some meat. I'm gonna say, thanks, and hand it back, right? I don't wanna eat that. Put some salt on it. See, salt is famous for making food taste better. It brings out its best flavors because without salt, many dishes can taste bland. My grandfather had heart surgery when we were kids and he got this stuff called new salt, N-U salt. And you know what it tasted like? Not good. That's what it tasted like. And so I remember he would hand it to us. It was on the table and we'd salt stuff with it. And I'm like, this ain't it. This isn't what I want. And I think similarly, Many Christians are like that. You see, we're supposed to add zest to life. We should embody a vibrancy, a fullness, a joy, an appreciation for beauty and an energetic spirit that makes us stand out in a world that often feels dull and broken. Yet sometimes we see the opposite. The overwhelming amount of stereotypes about Christians being stodgy and awful. Right, like for example, let's just let's just watch this real quick. Oh, this didn't go nearly as well as I had hoped, guys. You might have to start it over. Did you forget? Michael forgot. Never mind. The joke failed. It's too late. The moment's passed. We can just look at the meme. It says Baptists enjoying worship. Look at that. Now we laugh. But that's the truth. That's how many of us live and function, right? I remember when I was in a band and people would find out that we were a Christian band and they were immediately like, well, they're gonna be bad because Christian stuff is lame. But why is that? You know, I met with a pastor. I shared our vision for Morganton to engage the city, to connect with downtown, that we see this beautiful spirit, this entrepreneurial spirit 
where there is this life, this vibrancy, where there's art that's being celebrated, there's, there's food, there's drink, the culture is shifting, and we're saying, man, how can the gospel speak hope into that? And as I sat with him, he, he listened and he said, that's great. These are his exact words. That's good because I could care less about downtown. I remember calling friends when we were considering moving here. And I was like, hey man, I haven't lived in Morganton since I was a little kid. And I remember just kind of, Morganton was a very different place. What do you think the church is like there? How's the church engaging with the city? And he said, it feels like the church is running away from the city. Friends, this paints a dreary picture and suggests that some Christians choose to disengage from the world instead of embracing their mission in it. Christians often, we appear defensive, we appear sidelined, we appear passive rather than being dynamic and active. You see, the spirit of Christ in us we should be a people that shows the world a picture of health, of vibrancy, of joy, of renewal. Christians are called not just to exist, but to live fully, to bring the flavor of Christ's life and vitality to everyone around them. So salt, it preserves, it purifies, it seasons, and then lastly, it creates thirst. It creates thirst. Y'all remember uh, Texas Roadhouse when they had buckets of peanuts back before we didn't care about people with allergies? You remember that? You would go in there and like you would just like trip over peanut shells as you walked through there. You ever wonder why they do that? It's because salty things make you thirsty. And they're hoping that by the time you sit down, you're like, you know what? I will have a Coke, right? They're hoping that you'll order more drinks because they want to make you thirsty. Talking about the gospel isn't the only way that we point others to Christ. Though let me be clear, we should open our mouths and speak the truth of Jesus. But it's also the joy and fulfillment we find in him that makes others curious about God. Is the life that you're living making other people thirst for the living God? Think about it. Nothing turns people off more than Christians who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. People who show no real change no real depth in their spiritual life. Now, Jesus knows this is the case, that we should cause other people to thirst for the living Christ. And he says this in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, salt changes its environment by preventing decay, by purifying and adding flavor. But if it stops being salt, it loses its value. It gets trampled. Now, here's the thing. Sodium chloride, it's very stable. Salt doesn't just become not salty, right? That's why if you ever looked at the date on your salt, it's a long time. Salt only loses its saltiness when it becomes mixed with impurities, and this is a warning to us who blend in so much. We lose the distinct qualities that set us apart, right? Here's the thing. If you look, if you claim Jesus, but you look like the rest of the world, you won't face persecution, but you won't draw people to Jesus. Have you ever wondered about Lot's wife? Like why a pillar of salt, right? If you don't know the story, 
Lot and his wife are saved from Sodom. God's going to destroy it. And on the way, he says, don't look back. If you do, right, you will face destruction. And as they're running away, she looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. Like, why, why salt? Because she was looking back at the broken decay of Sodom and she wanted to bring it with her. And God says, no, you won't spread that decay somewhere else. Think I'm making this up? Luke 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. Friends, Jesus wants us to follow him. And that as we do, we make others thirst for the living Christ, that we live in such a way that we have vibrancy, joy, where there's brokenness, where, there's, where there is darkness, we bring about hope. And that as we do, we make others thirst for the living Christ. And to, the, to do this, Jesus does not want us to withdraw from the world, but to engage with it. He doesn't pray that we would go and all be Amish. Yes, I think the Amish are wrong, side note. But he prays for our protection from evil. I don't know if that's a controversial statement, but I just said it, so there we go. You see, being separate from worldliness isn't about physical isolation. It's about resisting a self-centered lifestyle. John defines worldliness as the pursuit of personal desire and ego. This is what he says in 1 John chapter two. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the father, but it's from the world. What John is saying is it's more about your inner attitude than your outer surroundings, that your real challenge is internal, not external, that you can try to avoid the world and still be worldly in attitude. What does that mean? You can have K-Love blaring, you can have your only subscription service be angel, and you can still have the values of the world. Because when you crave personal gain and pride, over and above the teachings of Jesus, guess what? I don't care what t-shirt you wear. I don't care what books you don't read. You are worldly in your heart. You see, we're called to show Jesus's love and life through our actions, through our relationships. It's Christ living in us that enables us to be salt, to make a difference, to show the better way. And Jesus says, not only are we salt, but second, we are light. We are light. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. This is a pretty amazing statement that Jesus is making to his disciples. You know why it's amazing? Because Jesus also says this, John 9, verse five, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Wait, we are the light, he is the light. What does that mean? It means Jesus is saying, what I am, you are to be. Friends, this is the call of the disciple, that we would sit at his feet, that we would become like him. How can we live like Christ did? I think some of us think we just, this is where we start to hear sermons like this and we think, all right, what do I gotta do? Do I just need to like look at everything Jesus did and do what he did? 
Do I need to go get some sandals and walk on dirt roads? Like, what do I need to do? It's not just about copying him like we might try to mimic a role model. It's not about us just trying to generate our own light. It's about getting our light from him. You see, if we're just trying to imitate, trying our best to do enough, then we're trying to be the source of light ourselves. We'd get all the credit or all the blame for how bright we shine, but the real power doesn't come from us. Think of it this way. It's like a light bulb. If I pick up a bulb and I hold it, it's not gonna glow on its own, right? No, a light bulb lights up because it's connected to a power source. But if you unplug it, no matter how great the light bulb is or bright it is, it won't shine because the bulb isn't creating the light. It's just showing the light from the electricity, from the source it's hooked up to. So in the same way, trying to shine by just copying what other light bulbs do doesn't work. We shine when we're connected to Jesus, when we're connected to the power source. Our ability to shine Jesus's light doesn't come from our own efforts. It comes from staying connected to him, drawing on his strength, his light shining in and through us. So how are we the light of the world? Only through a connection to Christ Jesus only by him living through us as he did when he walked the earth. He doesn't just show us how to shine. Friends, he is the light. And Jesus paints a vivid picture of our calling with two images. He says, it's like a city glowing on a hill and it's like a lamp shining in a home. Just as a city on a hill stands out, it's impossible to hide. So our believers meant to be visible, shining examples of faith. Here's the thing, there's no such thing as a hidden Christian, right? If people don't know that you are a disciple of Jesus, that's a little concerning, right? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it really well. He says, if we find in ourselves a tendency to put the light under a bushel, we must begin to examine ourselves and make sure that it really is light. Think about it. Do we dim our glow or do we shine bright? Do we offer warmth, safety, guidance like a beacon on a hill? We're like lamps in a household, not hidden under a bowl, but placed on a stand, lighting up the entire room. And this image, it shows us our purpose to illuminate, to reveal things as they truly are, to promote life and persistently break through darkness. And Jesus, our ultimate example, he didn't deepen the darkness, he illuminated the world. He exposed sin and imperfection and he drew people towards him with the stark contrast of his pure light. Jesus doesn't walk around comparing himself to other people, right? In fact, I'm pretty sure he told a parable saying we shouldn't do that. When he talked about two people who prayed, one being a self-righteous Pharisee saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like these fools and a tax collector weeping and beating his chest saying, God, have mercy. Jesus doesn't go around saying, man, you don't measure up to my standard. No, he simply is the standard of goodness. You see, we're strategically placed by God like lamps on a stand to shine wherever we are, even, friends, in the darkest of places. We're made to be visible, to illuminate life around us We're placed precisely where our light can have the most significant impact. Our presence reveals truth. It exposes sin. It highlights goodness. We draw others to the light that we share. It is incredible when we live out this call. 
You see it. Like, I know for a fact when we go into places and we shine, you know what happens when you pick up a rock when you're outside? Me and Sam have done that before. You see every critter underneath there diving as deep for darkness as they can go. I think often that is how we're initially received. But like Christ, little by little, people come forth into the light and they see that, oh, this isn't gonna harm me. It's gonna reveal what's wrong. See, the significance of light in our lives comes with a hefty responsibility. And Jesus doesn't mince words. He says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your father in heaven. He's giving us, friends, a direct order, not just a friendly tip. He's saying, if you're the light, which we are in Christ, then we must shine. And how do we shine? Through beautiful, eye-catching deeds of kindness and compassion. You see, when we're connected to Jesus, when we walk in the way of Jesus, when we sit at his feet, we can't help but pour out kindness and compassion. You can't help but do it. That, that's kind of my barometer. If, if I know someone's truly walking in the way of Jesus, right? If you're cold, distant, brittle, but you're full of truth, you may have read scripture, but I don't know that you've sat at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus' heart is kind. When Jesus describes his heart, do you know what he says? He says, it is gentle and lowly. And you know who he is? The son of the living God who spoke cosmos into existence. And so when we live lives that are stodgy and different, that say, do better, try harder, we do not image Jesus. Jesus emphasizes, friends, that our actions should not only be good, but they should catch the eye and the heart that they should make people notice and do what? Glorify God. John Stott says it perfectly. He says this, indeed, the primary meaning of works must be practical, visible deeds of compassion. It is when people see these, Jesus said, that they will glorify God for they embody the good news of his love, which we proclaim. Without them, our gospel loses its credibility and our God, his Honor, real, tangible acts of compassion are what Jesus is talking about. And when people see these acts, they recognize the love of God that we are sharing. This is why when we went through James, James says, when you see someone in need, don't just say, be warmed and well-fed. Feed them, clothe them, then speak the hope of Jesus. You see, without these acts, our message, it just loses its punch. And God's reputation is at stake. And the goal of all of this, these deeds, this shining is so that people would see our good works and end up praising God, that people would bend a knee to King Jesus. It's all for his glory. Just like David prays in the Psalms, not to us, Lord, but to your name be the glory. Jesus' statement that you are the light of the world is both astonishing and extremely empowering. It means that we're called to mirror him in this world. It's a task so huge, so grand that we wouldn't dare claim it ourselves, but Jesus does. He said, you are the light of the world. And in his plan, guess what happens? Light wins. Light overcomes darkness. You can be in the most bleak of darknesses and flip a light on. And you will see. The Bible tells us the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And C.S. Lewis once noted that the heavens 
only reflect or suggest the glory of God. But friends, we actually share the glory of the Father with Christ and we will be more glorious than the heavens, the scripture says. This is what Lewis writes. He says, nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol. We are summoned to pass in through nature beyond her to the splendor which she fitfully reflects. But it's not just a someday kind of thing. Jesus says that we reflect that light right now. So church, we have to make a choice. Do we wanna sit at the feet of Jesus? Do you know what happens to those who sit with God? Moses goes up on the mountain. He's with the Lord and he comes down from the mountain. Do you know what he had to do? Put a veil over his face because he was glowing. His face was shining. You see, when we sit at the feet of Jesus, we can't help but to shine as brightly as we can in a world that desperately needs it. There was a pastor who shared a story that sits with me. He writes, he says, one night at the end of a special Saturday night worship service, a thunderstorm unleashed a bolt of lightning that plunged the church into darkness. With the congregation seated in total darkness, I felt my way to the kitchen to find some candles. He starts handing out the candles to everyone present and kind of like a Christmas Eve service, everyone starts lighting each other's candle. These worshipers then made their way through the church's winding hall to the front door. This is what he writes. He says, peering out, we could see the rain coming down in sheets. With traffic snarled, people were running for the nearest shelter. Looking around, they realized that the entire city was in darkness. There in the darkness, we stood, he writes. A little band of Christians, each clutching a light, not sure whether we wanted to venture out into the storm or stay inside the church in hopes that the storm would soon blow over. And isn't that an appropriate analogy for many of us in the church? We know that there is a world that is enshrouded in darkness. There's a world out there that is bland, in need of spice, yet what do we do about it? Do we face the storm and shine the light of Christ? Do we add spice to a bland world? What if we committed to being the visible light of Christ, doing acts of beauty that draw people's eyes, not on us, but upward? What if we lived in truth that we are indeed the light of the world, the salt of the earth? And here's where I want to answer the question, how? And first, I would remind you, Jesus doesn't say, do these things, then you will be salt and light. No, he tells his disciples, you are salt and light. Church, this is who we are. We are salt and light. When we walk in the way of Jesus, that's who we are. I think the key is how many of us are actually practicing the way of Jesus? How many of us are actually disciples? Very briefly, as we come to a close, I wanna look at the power of habit. I think too often we, we feel like we, we hear a sermon like this and we're like, give me the solutions, the A to B, so we can go, we can do and conquer the world. But the reality is it often takes time, right? Anytime you make any kind of change, it's usually incremental, not quick, right? If I say, I wanna run a marathon and I go and I talk to Katie Cushman and I'm like, how? And she's telling me your training regimen. I'm like, got it. And I go and I try to run a marathon. Do you know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna make it half a mile. 
and then I'm gonna like fall on the ground and have like a bleeding lung because I'm very out of shape. Too many of us wanna just jump in and do, but I think we need to build habits over the long haul. Living out our faith in the hustle and bustle of everyday life means embracing a few key habits that reflect the heart of Jesus. So let's walk through a few together. First, embrace servanthood. Imagine putting others' needs before your own, not out of obligation, but out of love. It's about seeing those around us and asking this question, how can I make your day better? How can I serve you? Start there. Embrace servanthood. Second, strive for excellence. I can't say this high enough. In everything we do, let's aim high. I don't care what your job is, right? It doesn't matter what you do, whether you are a janitor, whether you prepare food, whether you serve as a teacher, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, do it with excellence. Whether it's at work, home, in your community, doing our best, living a life excellently, it's a way to honor God and inspire those around us, right? Colossians 3.17, everything that we do, everything. Again, remember, it's not about accolades, It's not about how much we get. It's about pointing others back to Jesus. It's about having gratitude for what he has done for us. And so strive for excellence. Third, live with integrity. Live with integrity. Walking the talk is not easy, but it is worth it. You see, This is what integrity means. It means our inside values meets our outside actions. In other words, when no one is watching you, are you being faithful, obedient, even when no one's paying attention? It's a long road, but it is the right one, right? It's been described that our faith is a long obedience in the same direction. Jesus said, it's the narrow way. Fourth, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. You know how many people, like at, at jobs, you're like, man, I don't know if I want to ask that person. That guy just is like, I don't know if he's going to do it or not. You don't want to be that guy. No one wants to be that guy. But you see, character and trust are the bedrock of meaningful relationships. It's about being someone that people can count on, knowing that what you say and do, it comes from a place of authenticity, that you mean what you say, that you are trustworthy. Fifth, lead by example. Lead by example. Whether you realize it or not, eyes are on you. It's not about being perfect. It's about being real. Like what if you were genuine? What if you were a real human being? Not someone who puts on a facade or a front. You know, people are like, how you doing? Blessed, never stressed. It's like, that's a lie. (laughs) More like blessed, always stressed, right? I get it, right? What if you showed others that following Christ actually makes a tangible difference in how you live and love? Six, guide others to Christ. Our life should be signposted to Jesus, offering glimpses of his grace and truth. Meaning this, when people say, man, how in the world can you have so much joy? That is your golden ticket for when you get to say, because of the hope I have in Jesus. Because of what Christ has done, how he's made a difference in my life, truthfully. The only way I'm able to have patience with my kid when he has decked me in the stomach five times is because Christ has dealt with me time and time again. Sometimes it's through our words. Other times it is through our actions or simply being there for someone. 
always be ready to share the hope that fuels you. Seven, get to know people. We're almost there, guys. You're doing great. Seven, get to know people. You see, truly knowing those around us from neighbors to colleagues allows us to serve them better and share life more deeply. Like if you don't know how to do this well, look up a list of questions online of like how to get to know people better. Save it in like notes on your phone, write it down on a piece of paper, stick it in your pocket and start asking your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, more meaningful questions. Get to know people because when you know them, it allows you to serve them better and to share life more deeply. I said this a few weeks ago, one of the most meaningful things you can do in a community group is when people share prayer requests, write it down, actually pray for them and then follow up with that person. Huge. We live in a world where no one feels known. I meet with people who tell me all the time they feel so alone and nobody knows me. Again, we have an opportunity so other people would never say that about us. It's about genuine interest in other people's stories and their well-being. Eight, there's 10 of these if you're wondering how long are we going. Eight, infuse life with the flavor of positivity. I couldn't think of a, a clever way to say this. And so this is what I came up with. Here's what you got. But let me just be real here for a minute. We live in a world that is continually negative, overwhelmingly negative. There are few things that drag us away from the way of Jesus than cynicism and negativity. Friends, we are salt. Remember? Like, do we want to be like stodgy Mark Hamill up there? Like, that's how we look most of the time. The world's terrible. Jesus is alive. No, it's not. Anything this side of hell is grace. Do cartwheels, man. You have overwhelming reason to rejoice. Now, listen, being positive is not about ignoring reality. I know we live in a broken world. I know there are hard moments. Yes, we should mourn. But being positive means choosing to see God's hand at work, even in tough times. And let me tell you something, it is contagious. When you uplift those around you, you lighten burdens. Nine, speak life. Speak life. I cannot be clearer than this. Your words have power. Your words have power. How do I know? Because that thing that your parents said to you that still wounds you sits with you. Your words have power. So use them, friend, to build up, not to tear down. Steer clear of gossip. If you find yourself wondering, I don't know if I should say this, like, is this gossip? Because I'm just concerned about, it's gossip. It is. Handle conflict with grace. See, that goes a long way in fostering peace and understanding. And then 10, the most important one, pray intentionally. Pray intentionally. I just wanna say as an aside, I have been so deeply convicted that we need to be a praying church. We must be, we must, we must. Starting each day, ask God for those that you would meet that you would be able to shine his light, his love. Ask God to set the tone for meaningful interactions. Ask God for Holy Spirit-led appointments. Friends, when we weave these habits into the fabric of our daily lives, let me be clear, those 10 things are not things that you're gonna walk out of here and go, got it, good, crush it. Those are things that you're gonna have to start doing little by little, practicing, growing, practicing, growing, right? Couch to 5K, okay? We gotta get better incrementally. 
We need to weave habits into the fabric of our daily lives. When we do, we not only grow closer to Christ ourselves, but we invite others to discover his transformative love and grace. Four questions as we come to a close. One, am I truly being salt in my daily life? How can I enhance the lives of those around me with my presence? Two, what does light look like in practical terms for me? How can I illuminate the darkness around me with hope and truth? Three, how do my actions reinforce the gospel that I profess to believe? Are there areas where I need to align my behavior more closely with what I say I believe? And fourth, do my actions reflect the identity that Jesus declares over me as the salt of the earth and the light of the world? Just a moment, I'm gonna pray, but I just wanna encourage you, friends, if this is a challenge for you, we feel conviction like this. It's easy to want to just bottle these things up. I and mean, we would love to pray with you and encourage you. We've opened up what we've called the accordion room forever so that we can pray with you guys. We're gonna have folks back there who would love to talk with you and pray with you if you are struggling this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have loved us, pursued us, and called us your own. Far too often, Lord, we look at how poorly we're doing instead of looking at the identity that you've called us into. You look at us and you say, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Lord, would we look at our life and realize that whether or not we believe these things are true, Lord, it has been declared over us in the gospel. And so because you said it, it is true. Lord, would we repent of the times, Lord, that we have seen our saltiness mixed up. And so our lives become like salt that is thrown on the road to be trampled. Or the times, Lord, that we have taken our light and hidden it under a bowl. We've stuffed it in a bush. Lord, would we be a people who shine brightly? Would we be, Lord, people who preserve, who purify, Lord, the people who had flavor and cause others to thirst for you. Work in us, we pray, Lord. Make much of the name of Jesus in us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. For more information on the life of our church, you can visit missionchurchnc.com. You can also find us on social media at Mission Church Morganton. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.